When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Happy New Year to everyone. Hopefully you had a, an enjoyable holiday season, Christmas and holidays and uh, New Year. I'm recording this just a little bit before uh, the New Year strikes on uh, Saturday night. And as I'm recording this out, I'm going to record the last segment at the end. Because as I'm recording it right now, the Michigan and TCU game is going on. So I'm going to record these first couple of segments uh, earlier Saturday and uh, we'll get back and see if Michigan can come back uh, after TCU takes a big lead. But we're going to preview the Rose Bowl here, give you my score prediction for Penn State versus Utah. I'm live from uh, Los Angeles tonight. We'll be in Pasadena on Monday for the Rose Bowl. It'll be my third Rose Bowl. And I'll tell you what, uh, look, I know a lot of people don't really give a damn what we in the media think of things. You just want to see games and teams and all that stuff. But I, I love I absolutely love coming to the Rose Bowl. Everybody in the media loves coming to the Rose Bowl because we in the media are like peons. We're, we're like the lint of this stuff. And I'm self-aware enough to know that, you know, we're just kind of hanging on and we're reporting on this stuff. And a lot of sports fans, while you might consume what we do, you don't really care anything about our lives or anything. But we get treated like kings at the Rose Bowl. They give us all this free food and drink. They put us up in these huge hotels, although it's expensive this year. But uh, love coming to the Rose Bowl. I was here in 08 when we had the infamous food poisoning incident from the media. And then I was here in 16 for the incredible Saquon Barkley and USC game. So my third time here, I love coming here. I've been to you know pretty much every every bowl game Penn State's been to, except for the Outback Bowl last year. I did not travel to that. This is a fun time. The Rose Bowl matters. I just want to stress that before I get into the game, breaking down the game. This bowl game matters. I am very much on record saying, writing, that bowl games generally don't matter as much anymore. Uh, Players opting out left and right. I don't think we can view bowl games any longer as an indication of what kind of team – uh, what kind of season a team has back in the day. And when I say back in the day, <laughs> seven, eight years ago, you, you could judge your season in a lot of ways by how you did in the bowl game. Cause you're playing a marquee opponent. It's a national kind of game. And if you finish a, your season with a, a victory in a bowl game, that is a signature win. It kind of solidifies a lot of things. 
I just don't believe we can do that as much anymore in general with opt-outs, with players just not caring as much about the actual game itself any longer. But this is different. The, the reason getting to the Rose Bowl was so important to Penn State, even more so than the Orange Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. Those are great games. They're New Year's Six games. But the Rose Bowl is different from those. You know, this is outside the college football playoff. This is the bowl game that matters the most. And so this that's why it's just a tremendous accomplishment for Penn State to get here. No matter what the Lions do on Monday, win or lose, it's not going to change the fact that the great element of this season was getting to the Rose Bowl. Now, that's my preface of saying I think Penn State's going to lose the game. Uh, my pick, I wrote this earlier in the week at DK Pittsburgh Sports. I got Utah winning 31-26. to It's kind of a pick game. It could go either way. Last line I saw was Utah was favored by two and a half. It's, it's basically been a pick game for, you know, since the line first came out when the matchup was announced. And so it could go either way. I'm going to pick Utah because I think Utah has – they were just here last year. That is a significant component. All of the hoopla and everything that Penn State's going to be dealing with on Monday of playing in a Rose Bowl and all the excitement and energy, well, Utah just did that last year in its loss to Ohio State. Utah played very well for most of the game and then kind of blew it in the fourth quarter. So I think Utah has the revenge factor. And, and having been in this game just a year ago, I think will get, be a benefit for them. And the other fact, another factor I think is huge is Penn State will not have Parker Washington. I don't think this is a great Penn State offense to begin with, but with Parker Washington, uh, he is a quality receiver, quality running game for Penn State, nice offensive line, good running backs, very good tight ends. Sean Clifford doesn't have to do everything in, in order for this Penn State offense to be effective, but this is a good Utah defense. This is... This is the kind of game where missing any playmaker for Penn State's offense, I think, is going to hurt. If Parker Washington were in this game, I, I, I would maybe feel differently, and I might end up picking Penn State to win. But to lose a guy that might be worth a point or two here or there or, or a big catch or whatever, and the fact is you're playing a really strong Utah team, I'm giving Utah a little bit of an edge again. 31-26, it could go either way. Penn State certainly could win this game. Uh, Penn State's defense is very, very good. One of the main storylines that has come out of you know this pre-Rose Bowl media attention has been comparing Utah to Big Ten teams. So let me tell you a quick story. <laughs> I was on a radio station in Salt Lake City the other day. What was it? Thursday. It was actually right before I had just left. Uh, Altoona to cut to fly out to LA. So I was on a radio station out there. And look, if you've, if you know anything about me, I'm not afraid to give my opinion, uh, ever. I don't care if it pisses people off or what have you. So I say on this radio station out in Salt Lake that I don't have a whole lot of respect for the Pac 12 conference. I don't think they play a whole lot of defense in the Pac 12. And so numbers get inflated out there and, and, and it, 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 I think it hurts the conference. And then I said, except for Utah. Utah does play what we would maybe consider a Big Ten style of defense. They're tough. They're physical. They're going to get after it. I think a lot of teams in the Pac-12 play a soft, 
soft coverage type of defense. They don't come up and just want to hit you a ton like a Penn State defense or a Michigan defense or an Ohio State defense or Wisconsin or Iowa. Some of these teams that we're just used to, hey, they want to come up and be physical for four quarters. That's not generally life in the Pac-12, but I do think Utah is that way. However, so my little soundbite out there on this radio station in Salt Lake City, and you can find it on Twitter. I, I say to somebody, in fact, hey, look, I don't have a lot of respect for the Pac-12, and if you want to use that as a soundbite for your audience, go right ahead. So they did. They tweeted it out, and sure enough, there's all these uh, likes and everything, uh, probably from Utah fans, and, and who I think agree with me, because the, the, the radio hosts out in Salt Lake, they were like, no, you're 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 right. They they, they kind of thought that you know, some big some Pac-12 teams are, are, are a little soft as well. Uh, but I do think we're going to see a great game. Yeah, no, I don't know about if it's going to be too high of a scoring game. Although bowl games can surprise you with more points than you think, even if you've got good defenses. Again, TCU has just scored more than forty on on Michigan. Now a couple of that's interceptions and everything, but uh, so bowl games can have a way of piling up a lot of points. I would not think that this would be a game in the 30s. Um, but, it, it, look, it very well could be. And that's why, again, I think losing Parker Washington, the kind of playmaker, because I don't think Penn State really has a number one receiver. Mitchell Tinsley's a nice number two receiver. I don't think he's a number one receiver. And so it puts – if I'm Utah, I'm going to stack the box, man, and I'm going to force – I'm, I'm going to try to shut down Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen as much as possible. And I'm going to force Sean Clifford to try to beat me with the wide outs and the tight ends. Now, the tight ends are a huge part of what Penn State likes to do on offense, and they will be again in the Rose Bowl. I think those tight ends are collectively going to have some have to have some big catches and maybe even some touchdowns. But that's my game plan if I'm Utah. I'm going to load up the box. I'm going to I'm going to try to stuff the run, see if Sean Clifford in the wide, and I'm going to challenge. I'm going to play some man coverage, and uh, if Mitchell Tinsley and Harrison Wallace and Keandre Lambert Smith can can beat you. Uh, beat Utah secondary, then yeah, then Penn State can win the game. But if I'm Utah, that's going to be my game plan. I'm going to force those guys to beat me because I'm not really sure that they can. Uh, really good matchup, a fun matchup. I do think the outcome matters here because while I can say on in, in one breath that this is a great season for Penn State, end of discussion, this is a great season. I've talked about this a lot on these podcasts. When you get to a Rose Bowl, it is a memorable season. 08, 16, 22, going back to 94 when they were in the Rose Bowl against Oregon. When you go to a Rose Bowl, you remember that year. And so this will be a memorable year for Penn State, no question. At the same time, Lions have not beaten a ranked opponent. We still don't know how good this Penn State team is. I do think the defense is very, very good. But this is an opportunity because I think this game means a tremendous amount to Utah as well. I know it means a tremendous amount to Penn State. I think this means a tremendous amount to Utah, even though they've had a couple of guys opt out. The Utes are coming in here looking. They're they're trying to get a signature win here as well. Penn State is a national program. This is a national game. Utah, those folks know the reputation of the Pac-12. They know that the rest of the country probably looks at the Pac-12 of being maybe a softer softer conference. They're coming out here playing for a lot of pride. So this is this is an atypical bowl game in the modern era where you just don't know if it's going to mean a, a tremendous amount to both teams. Yes, we've had a lot of fun, entertaining bowl games. Arkansas and Kansas, you know, Notre Dame, South Carolina. There have been entertaining games, but 
this is the kind of game where I think you're going to get the A effort from Penn State. You're going to get the A effort from Utah. And we'll find out which one is the better team. My score prediction, again, Utah 31, Penn State 26. The betting line is over under a 52.5. I would take the over in that. I do think that's a lower number. I don't think either, I don't think both teams can get in the 30, but I think one of the teams will get into the 30s. So I would take the over. And uh, my other best bet for the game was to take Utah for the money line. Uh, Utah's favored by two and a half, but I'd go with the money line there. So uh, I'm going to go with the Utes, 31-26. Good game. Could come down to the wire the last couple minutes either way. And I just, I just hope we get to see a, a, a good, fun, entertaining game. I was here in 16 for that USC game. Man, that was unbelievable. One of the great college sporting events we've ever seen. Just how electric it was. And we all remember Saquon's run. Hopefully we get anything close to that type of entertaining performance. Come back here in segment two. I'll let you know what we found out from Drew Aller, Nicholas Singleton, Abdul Carter, the freshmen that we were able to talk to for the first time all season on Saturday, kind of give you some insight of what we've found out from reporting out here in L.A. (laughs) All right, welcome to (laughs) <laughs> the second segment of the We Are podcast. In the 10 minutes that I was recording the first segment, folks, it's uh, 7-12 Eastern time right now, 4-12 California. In the 10 minutes I was recording the first segment, Michigan scored two touchdowns uh, <laughs> and is now within three points early in the fourth quarter of TCU. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll recap more of this coming up in the third segment when maybe we have a, a final score. I'll record the third segment later on. As of right now, I'm going to go ahead and predict that Michigan will end up coming back and winning. But hey, it's just crazy. You know, you just never know what you get in sports. You get down 18, 19 points. You're firing back. You're doing everything. Who would have thought TCU and Michigan would both get into the 40s? We're probably going to see that. But look, I'll get into more of that here in the third segment. So here's here's what something that was really cool. Um, I, I like to try to share insights into what it is we do so that this isn't just all in X's and O's, you know, kind of, kind of podcast. So we, in the media, we don't get to talk to Penn state freshmen been that way really forever. Joe never let anybody, it never let the freshmen talk. And, you know, that's carried over to Bill O'Brien and James Franklin and a lot of other collegiate programs in the country do that as well. But getting to a new year six game there is a rule, and this is what's spectacular from the media standpoint to cover Penn State whenever they get into a New Year's Six game. It is mandated by these New Year's Six bowls that there is a bowl media day, and every player on the roster has to be available to talk to the media. So it's just fantastic. Now, look, it doesn't always, it's not always a huge deal if there aren't a lot of star freshmen on a team. I mean, yeah, everybody wants to talk to the, you know, the young guys that we haven't heard from, but we had not heard from Drew Aller. We had not heard from Nicholas Singleton or Abdul Carter or Katron Allen. So we finally got a chance to interview these guys on Saturday at the uh, Bowl Media Day. Uh, and it was really cool because it's the first time in this, in this, 
scope, in this realm, where we get to discuss things with Drew Aller about how his season is gone. We, we've been talking for weeks and weeks and months about, hey, well, maybe Drew should be playing more. He should be playing more. You know, should, he should be starting. We got to ask him that. We got to ask him, did you feel like you should be playing more? You know, did you know that the fan base was calling for you to start? I'd ask Drew, hey, are you ready? Are you ready for what's about to happen here coming up in about two days? And I mean, after the, after the game, I don't, I don't expect Aller to play much, if at all, in the Rose Bowl. But as soon as the Rose Bowl's over, Drew Aller is Penn State's starting quarterback. And so there's a lot that comes with that leadership. And it's not just play on the field. It's not just getting out there and showing he's got the arm and can read the defense. It's leadership. How do you handle the adversity? How do you handle the ups? How do you handle the downs? How do you handle you crazy folks in the fan base who have tremendous mood and momentum swings depending on how a guy plays from one week to the next? Because right now, the entire Penn State fan base is loving Drew Aller and can't wait to see him play and thinks you're going to win a national championship with him. Well, hey, maybe that'll happen. Or maybe he'll be mediocre. Maybe he'll be bad. I don't, you don't, I don't think so. Maybe he'll be awesome. Maybe he'll be an otherworldly talent. But at this point, we don't know. I think the biggest, the single biggest question mark going into Penn State season next year is Drew Aller. Now, I'm not saying that that's a question in terms of could he be bad, but he has so much hype to live up to, and we need to see it outside of just mop-up duty against Ohio or Central Michigan or whatever. But it was cool to sit down. I, I spent about 10 minutes with Drew Aller and a handful of other media folks. He's very poised. He's very polished. He's used to doing the interviews uh, or used to being in, in the spotlight as, as, a, as a national elite recruit. This is not something that's new to him, even though it's the first time we've been able to on the Penn State beat speak with him. Here's what jumped out to me the most. He gave a lot of respect to Sean Clifford. Well, you could say on one hand, he has to. Sean Clifford is the starter. He is the guy that's, you, you've got to give deference to the leader, uh, you know, the guy that's above you on the depth chart. And that's, that is maybe to be expected to a degree. But the way Drew Aller talked about Sean Clifford and the deference that he showed to him, I do think was genuine. I think is revealing because we all know what Sean Clifford has been and really is as a quarterback when we, when we watch games on the field. However, Sean Clifford as a leader off of the field, Sean Clifford as a guy that is working with Drew Aller, with Bo Prabula in practice every day, in the quarterback room, the leadership things, those are the things that, Probably when we when we look back on all, when all said and done with Drew Aller's career at Penn State, we're probably going to have to give Sean Clifford a lot of credit for uh, for some of the things that he not only that he would have taught Drew Aller, but that Drew Aller would have learned from him as Sean Clifford has gone through this situation as a starting quarterback, getting booed by his own fans at home. You don't think that Drew Aller noticed that? Drew Aller is stepping into a situation with a, a rabid fan base that, yes, has very high hopes and expectations, but is also has also shown that 
if you don't play well, they're going to come at you and they're going to criticize you. And there's going to be a lot of posts on social media and fans are going to be upset. So when I say, is Drew Aller ready to be the starting quarterback at Penn State? I'm not necessarily even just talking about when the game starts, will he be ready to, to make all the throws that he needs to make? What I'm talking about is how do you handle everything seven days a week? How do you handle everything uh, of avoiding the outside noise? If you're playing well, that's, that's fine. If you're playing great, then hey, it, it's easy to just kind of continue that. What if you're not playing great? You see that Clemson bowl game the other day? That, their, their kid, Cade Klubnick, I saw he had not lost a start as a quarterback since, since sixth grade. He went like 34 and 0 in junior high and high school or whatever as a start. He hadn't lost a, he hadn't lost a football game in seven years as a starting quarterback. Some kids don't know how to lose. Some kids don't know how to struggle. Some kids don't know how to have the adversity, uh, and, and things are going wrong. And so I, I, I look at the Zach Wilson situation with the New York Jets. I mean, that it's a disaster for that kid there. This is his second year in the NFL. People in New York seem to hate him. From things you read about the Jets is his, his Jets teammates can't stand him. They think he's a giant jerk. Well, you, you don't know, when you're supposed to be the leader and the quarterback is the leader of any of any football team. You, you just don't know how a young man's going to handle that. Uh, if he, again, if he's succeeding, that's great. But if you're not succeeding, you have a bad game, you have a bad stretch. How do you overcome all of those things? My, my impression of Drew Aller was that he very poised. He seems to understand what he's, what's about to happen, uh, what he's getting in for and what this situation is going to mean for him as an opportunity, uh, at, at Penn State. The, there's a lot of reason to believe that he can be very, very successful for the Nittany Lions over the next couple of years. But there are reasons to wonder if he can live up to the potential. I've written and talked about this extensively. I don't know what their wide receiver situation is going to look like next year. Parker Washington's gone. I don't know what they're going to get out of, out of the transfer portal. If they don't get a legitimate number one guy, they might not have a legitimate number one wide receiver or a legitimate number two wide receiver next year. Well, how's that going to impact Drew Aller? Can we expect Drew Aller to hit the ground running and be a superstar college quarterback if he doesn't have all the weapons around him that he needs to be a superstar college quarterback? Well, he's going to have a running game, and the tight ends should be good. But yeah, you need wideouts that can spread the field if you're going to equal the hype and live up to the expectations that people have for you as a quarterback. So that, to me is what's going to be fascinating to see over the next couple of years because I do believe if things, if, this is a big if, if things go as people hope, Penn State can compete for a national championship in 2024. I don't think it'll be next year. I think there are too many questions next year. 2024 is when Singleton, Allen will be will be juniors. Aller will be in his second year as a starter. So I think 2024 is the year. But it was cool to sit down and chat with him, get to pick his brain a little bit, because I will tell you, folks, the one thing that I think all the Penn State media could agree on, and that is Sean Clifford has handled all of this stuff tremendously well this year. All of the, I mean, the boos, the expectations. Sean Clifford was kind of standoffish a little bit last year during the losing and everything. This year he's come back. He's just enjoying life. And there's something to be said for that as the leader, the guy who brings the positive attitude. And, and that, that's the kind of thing that can rub off on Drew Aller as well. I was also very impressed in talking with Nicholas Singleton and Abdul Carter. 
Uh, I'll have much more on that at DK Pittsburgh Sports here in the in the next couple of days. But uh, Nicholas Singleton, um, humble. Talked to a guy about you know, his Gatorade High School Players Year. He seemed perfectly fine splitting the carries with Catron Allen. He talked about hey he's he's just trying to do the best that he can every time he gets the ball, uh, and that it, you know he understands the situation. He understands the role. He understands the situation. And in a two-back system, a lot of guys might uh, might say, yeah, well, I want the ball more. Uh, I, I didn't get the sense that Nicholas Singleton, that it really bothered him much this year. Now, might it bother him more next year or, or in two years? We'll see. But the young man really seems to be pretty well-grounded and, and understanding of exactly what is being asked of him and Katron Allen at this point. I did talk to Catron Allen a little bit about his nickname, Fat Man. He's kind of a funny kid. He he didn't have as much insight, really. I'll be honest with you about the whole splitting the running back carries. He he just didn't really he didn't have a lot of insight into what it meant to him or or, or what have you. And look, that you're not always going to get the greatest answers from players when you interview anybody. We, we tried. He he kind of talked around it a little bit and, and and didn't really give a whole lot of insight. Abdul Carter, on the other hand. Uh, understood what wearing number 11 was going to mean to him, was going to mean the expectations of wearing number 11, uh, what his goals are for his future. I'll tell you what, the guy, he even said, the sky's the limit. You know, like, how good can you be uh, when all is said and done? And he said, the sky's the limit. I asked him, have, you know, well, do you, should you reach out and talk more with Micah Parsons or talk with, you know, some younger or some, some established guys? to understand maybe what's going to be expected of you in year two and year three. Because what happens is when you come in and you're a superstar as a freshman, well, now, in some ways, no matter how much of a prospect you were, in some ways you're kind of catching people off guard a little bit. But you come back a year two, now everybody is focused on you. Now you are a face of the franchise. Now you're going to be interviewed every week. Because as freshman, Abdul Carter, did, as a freshman, he didn't have to be interviewed at all. He didn't have to be a face of the team. He could just go out and play football. You you have more expectations. You have more asked of you as you continue on in your career. And so he handled that part of it very well, I thought. And he understands that, hey, look, he had a great freshman year and now uh now more is going to be asked, more is going to be expected. And he he feels like he is uh, definitely going to be up to the challenge. So it was really cool from that perspective to be able to sit down for 10 minutes apiece with some of these freshmen and pick their brains for the first time. And that is, that's a really neat thing about getting to this kind of bowl game, this level of bowl game from a media perspective, because we didn't get to talk to any of these dudes all season. We'll get to talk to them a hell of a lot over the next couple of years, but I always remember these first times at these bowl games, uh, talking to these young guys and, and, and how neat of an experience it is, both for them and for the media. All right, we'll wrap things up here in the third segment coming up in just a moment. Well, welcome back to our third and final segment of the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. So literally the Ohio State-Georgia game 
just ended about a minute and a half ago. I'm I'm in Los Angeles at the hotel. We were all watching the Ohio State-Georgia game. And so I took some time between the first two segments and then this one so we could see how the playoff games shaped out Saturday. And I'll tell you what, these games were phenomenal. You know, TCU holding on and beating Michigan, just amazing. I, I gave TCU no shot in that game. I just thought Michigan was so strong, so powerful on both sides of the ball, and yet TCU hangs 50 on them. And then the Georgia-Ohio State game, well, it was just amazing. Again, the, the game for me just ended two minutes ago, and Ohio State up two scores, and you're thinking, okay, hey, this is th- this is what I expected to see from Ohio State. Seriously, I, I as soon as they... As soon as I thought they could have a chance to still get in, I was telling people, don't be surprised if Ohio State wins the whole damn thing. Ohio State has still got fantastic talent on that team. They recruit at a top five level every year. So they lost, they had, they had a bad 10 minute stretch against Michigan and got blown out. And Ohio State fans went ape crap thinking that Ryan Day should be fired and everything. I mean, you want to talk about a fan base completely losing perspective. That's what happened to the Ohio State fan base. But coming out tonight against Georgia, uh, that was a great game. I give Georgia all the credit in the world. And hey, Stetson Bennett, I, I've said for a long time, Matt McGloin is my favorite Penn State player that I've ever covered because Matt started out as a walk-on. The odds were against him. I just love to see that underdog story of what Matt McGloin pulled off at Penn State. But what Stetson Bennett has done at Georgia, I mean, it's the exact same story, but just, you know, a hundred times better. Stetson Bennett winning a national championship last year, coming into the game with two and a half minutes to go, trailing Ohio State. He leads his team right down the field, excellent throws, throws a touchdown pass to win the game, and then Ohio State misses a field goal at the end. I mean, just what an amazing story for Stetson Bennett. Uh, started off as a walk-on, had to leave the Georgia program, came back, has always been overlooked. That's just an amazing story. And so we had the, the Saturday represented just a, a sensational showing for college football. These were blue blood programs, three of the four of them. And then you've got TCU and TCU just stuns its way into a national championship game. Uh, just you, you cannot say enough about the job that that program has done this year, and Max Duggan and, and Sonny Dykes. And I, I, now, <laughs> I, I will say here, I think Georgia is going to pound TCU. I think Michigan. What was surprising to me about Michigan versus TCU is I didn't recognize that team wearing the maize and blue. That wasn't Michigan. That wasn't the Michigan team and game plan that we've seen Michigan succeed with all season. That that looked like some team that just decided to come out there and throw caution to the wind and wing it all over the place and uh you know throwing the ball a lot and not relying on its heavy ground and pound game. Even from very very first early on, I think they had fourth and goal at the 2 and instead of just lining up and saying we're going to run over your ass Michigan does a double reverse, a cute play that fast, tricky teams generally have to do to try to score in that situation. That's not what Michigan is. Michigan is, I'm going to run the ball down your throat and you're not going to stop me. And Michigan didn't do that and really couldn't do that. And TCU, uh, hey, showed up, 
picked off a couple passes, had huge plays on defense, and then uh, their offense did well. So just an amazing day of college football. I had some somebody on, on DK Pittsburgh Sports posted a comment the other day of, you know, what do you think of these games being on New Year's Day? You know, there's a lot of uh, New Year's Eve, I'm sorry, and there's a lot of things that people typically do with New Year's Eve and watching the shows and all. And I said, hey, I don't necessarily love it, but the ratings are going to be enormous. And I'll guarantee you the rating between Georgia and Ohio State when we get to see it on Monday or Tuesday will probably be some gigantic number. And then we get to see a game that comes right down to the wire in the final second with a missed field goal. So this is exactly what college football wanted. They wanted two highly entertaining games. And now, with all due respect to TCU, this is maybe a little bit of what college football did not want. Because I think Georgia's probably going to be about a double-digit favorite over TCU. I could see 10, 12, 13 points. And I just think Georgia is so much better than TCU that maybe that game kind of gets out of hand. And I don't necessarily think we'll see a tremendous national championship game. If I'm wrong and TCU can come out there and and ball out and and have a shot or maybe even win it, then I'll give them credit after the game. But I, going into it, I just don't see that that's going to be the case. And George, you know, Georgia is a national draw now as an elite program, the elite of the elite, really, even more so than Alabama right now. But TCU's not. There, there'll be viewers tune in for the first quarter to see if it's close and. You know, if the game can be close, we'll hang around. I would keep our attention, but I just don't really expect that game to be close. So, you know, just to kind of wrap up the thoughts here on the playoff, I just can't wait to see in 2024 when we get to the 12 team field. I've always kind of been against expanding the field too big because I think it waters down the regular season. But we see when you give teams opportunities, when you give, I mean, we're going to have situations when we get to the 12 team field where there might be a 10 or 11 or a 12 seed pull off a couple upsets. We're going to see it. Maybe we won't see it a lot, but when we do see it, it will give us a tremendous amount of appreciation for what it takes to get into the field and how dangerous you could be when you do get into the field. And as it relates to Penn State, I mean, look, this is the fifth year in the last seven seasons that the Lions would have gotten into a college football playoff had the field been 12. And I don't expect that to change. I, I expect Penn State to get into a top 12, you know, field playoff at least five, six, maybe even seven times a decade. As long as the program is doing well and recruiting okay and 100,000 fans are showing up, Penn State should be, should be most years a top 12 team in the country. And so what we've seen in this playoff is, Hey, you get there. If you're TCU, you, you, you get a shot at it. You never know what can happen. So congratulations to those guys. I hope we see a good national championship game. I don't necessarily think that we will, but man, imagine what it's going to be like in, in just a couple years when we see not only the top 12 teams all have, you know, feeling maybe pretty good when they get in, but teams 13, 14, 15, those bubble teams, just like we see with college basketball, it's going to create so much more interest. Uh, as we get down to the end of the regular season, as all these teams start to vie for uh, a spot in the tournament. So, and including Pitt. Hey, this, I, we t- keep talking about Penn State in this, and this is a Penn State podcast. It, it's not un- unlikely, or, you know, 
infeasible to think that Pitt couldn't get into a top 12 every now and then and, and you know what that could end up doing for that program. Now, maybe Penn State fans don't want that to happen, but it would, it would be pretty cool uh, to have two teams from Pennsylvania represented in a playoff every now and then. Hey, folks, Happy New Year. I hope you enjoy the Rose Bowl on Monday between Penn State and Utah. Again, my final score prediction, Utah 31, Penn State 26. Hopefully we get to see a great game. And Happy New Year to everybody. I appreciate all of the support that all the readers and listeners have shown me in my year and a half here at DK Pittsburgh Sports. I can't thank you enough for all of the kind comments. And uh, so happy holidays, Merit, happy new year to everyone. And we will talk to you again next week.